I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, one and all, and welcome to Book Off, the literary podcast with a difference with me, Joe Haddo. I'm joined today by two fabulous writers and thinkers and humans in the form of Joe Abercrombie and Barney Norris. Welcome to you both. Barney looked very strangely at me then for that introduction. I was pleased about it. Good. Oh, good. Yeah, okay. It was warm. Not everyone agrees that I qualify as a human, so it's nice to... <laughs> nice to finally hear it, isn't it? Yeah. No. I think that might be a cover quote for me, actually. Human. You're, you're welcome to it. It's out there in the public sphere now, so, you know, if you want to slap it on the next novel, by all means. Something needs to go there, for sure. <laughs> Someone's going to say something. <laughs> Lovely to have you both here and uh, booking off with us. Now, for those that haven't listened before, or perhaps only just caught it once, the book off is where both of my guests get three minutes on the clock a bit later on to tell us about a book they absolutely love. Not one of their books, but a book they think that we should all read, and they're going to tell us why. They get three minutes, as I said, but they don't have to use it all. However, gents... If you reach that three-minute mark and you are still speaking, I'm either going to ring you out or honk you off, as it were, okay? So you have to be quite precise. You have been honked off? Or was I, that... I can't remember the last time I was honked no. off. It's something I've missed. Good. Well, it might be your lucky day. Who knows? Today. Um, but before we get to those books, we should talk about... Well, your ones, I suppose, because, you know, you've written some. Uh, and, Joe, you've just published the first in a new trilogy. Is that right? A new series. That is right. Well, it kind of is both new and not new mm. in a tedious sort of way. Yes. <laughs> uh, it picks up on a world that I've written in before. Uh, I wrote this trilogy called The First Law and then three other books in that world and I'm now coming back to it sometime later. But the world has moved forward into a kind of industrial era, if you will. Yes. And there's, there's a cast of new characters. It's a, it's a next generation of characters, I suppose. Okay. Yeah. Trying to yeah. pick up on the success of Star Trek. <laughs> it's uh, a new generation, and some of the some of the previous heroes and villains become the the parents and the mentors in the background. So you're not going to call it First Law: The Next Generation, then? I wish I had. <laughs> now, but no, it's called The Age of Madness, uh, and A Little Hatred is the book, right? A Little Hatred is the first book. It's yeah. The first book. Tell us about that then. Well, it's an epic sweep of love and war, set against a background of uh, dawning industrialization where I suppose there's a new uh, style of inventors and engineers and investors. Money is really becoming a big factor in the world. And uh, there's a sort of civil war brewing 
And it's really just the story of a set of mismatched and unpleasant characters caught up in their own obsessive kind of rivalries. Mm. So it's really it's similar to what I've done in the past, but very, very good. You don't have to, <laughs> make, don't have to take my word for it. My, if, if, my if we've mom, read your earlier books, yeah. we, we would like this one. Whether you have or haven't read my earlier books, I, I warmly advise that you at least buy You'll it. You'll definitely buy it. Definitely yeah. buy it. And, and my mum is a huge fan too, so, you know. She's got great taste, so, I mean, you know. She has just fantastic taste. Absolutely someone to She loves it. everything I've written. <laughs> I, I, I do want to talk more about the world, actually, and I'll, I'll come back to that in a minute because I'm quite fascinated by how you keep it all in your head. But um, before we talk about that, I'll turn to you, Master Norris, because, of course, just a couple of months ago, wasn't it, you published Vanishing Hours. Um, it, and I, I was going to call it a novella, but is, but is it? Controversial. Yeah, sorry. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, so, it's a short novel. Yeah, you're referring to that. It's, it comes in a little light on, oh, let's say what I contractually agreed to do. Who's guidelines? Guidelines. No contract means anything. I think it's I think it's a sixty five thousand word book, which is actually not so much shorter than I was contractually obliged no. to. Longer than Great Gatsby. Yeah, yeah. But you know stick that on the cover. Yeah right. Arguably less good. Um but <laughs> I don't know. It's early days. We'll see. Give it a century and we'll see. Um, it's an interesting conversation, I think, where one turns into the other. I've been reading mm. early in McEwan's recently, which make no apologies for being 30,000, 40,000 words long. And actually, it, for the specific stories that he's writing, are much better for being, for staying taught and staying focused on the mm. thing and not digressing. And there are Michael Frains that come in very light that he you know, um, insists on novels. <laughs> I tried telling him that Spies might be a novella and he didn't, he didn't think like that, that was true. <laughs> um, uh, that was, yeah, it was the last time I saw him. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it is, it's, a, it's a story that um, uh, sort of has a structure that fundament, a, a fundamentally circular structure of beginning in this with a visit to this pub, um, effectively the tale is it was a dark and stormy night and I walked into the pub and there was this bloke by the fire and he said to me, it was a dark and stormy <laughs> night, you know, that story. Yeah. And then and then the, we hear a second story within the pub and then we come back to that and the tale finishes. And I think um, because it has that sense of yarning right at the centre of it, of storytelling, yeah. um, sort of of a of a pub joke <laughs> without any laughs. Um, <laughs> not something to put on the cover. Um, I think that that sort of finishes and completes and I didn't want to extend it any further because you'd be creating narrative for narrative's sake, you know. Yeah. And yarning's a good word, isn't it? I like that, yarning. Yarning. Yeah. Mm. And I, by the way, you know, novella, novel, whatever you want to call it, you know, there's no, oh, no judgment here. Judgment. Uh, yeah. Absolutely not. It's just, it was... When I, when it arrived, my my copy, my early copy arrived. I was uh, like, oh, that's good. I'm going to get through this. <laughs> but actually, the day. But well, yes, yes, and no, though, because actually, I think you know, it's not um, it's not light, as it were. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in terms of subject matter, I would. Well, say. I'll tell you what it is, and I, I, I think you, Joe, you'd know. Oh no, that. Hasn't oh, made it any clearer who I'm it? talking to at all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, just, too many jokes. Yeah, too many. Um, you know about this. So I, I felt like I had an extraordinary discovery um, touring Northern Ireland last autumn, and I'd finished writing this story that's now out um, 
because you know they take a long time to come to publication. Um, and I was talking about I was talking about my second book, Turning for Home. Um, and I did a lot of book gigs with a novelist called Jan Carson. Um, it's a fantastic writer, um, Belfast-based novelist. And she said to me that the way she writes a novel is that she'll write a scenario, a movement of action and character and intention and mm. obstacle, and that'll finish. And then she'll do another scenario with the same characters in it, and that is all right. And this, I don't know if I'm putting across how profound this was to me, but because my background's in the theatre, I always wrote plays. And so for me, a sh- an evening, which is two and a half hours or one and a half hours, depending on what kind of evening you write, you set up a scenario and you do it, and then it finishes, and then everyone claps and goes home. So I've got three novels in, and I felt like I'd never understood that a novel could have more than one movement in it. I've, mm. I felt like the, the, what you do is you create a scenario that plays out over the course of a day or whatever, and then go home. <laughs> and, I, I mean, you must have to do a completely different thing because you're creating characters who can sustain through multiple stories, let alone through more than one scenario. I mean, that's... I find it, well, I find it mind-boggling how you keep it all in your head, actually, to come back to what well, you said. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm intrigued as well, other Joe. As am I. Would someone care to give me the trick of doing it? It would make life a lot easier. Do you not have a room filled with, like, post-its yeah, you post-it and, note, you know, and images and... Tr- I don't know. I That'd just... be brilliant and kind of bits of coloured string yeah, making photographs yeah. together and stuff like an FBI crime <laughs> Is it not like that? You're going to shatter that illusion? Sadly, yes, a little bit. It's, it's a desk with a computer on it, like <laughs> most of our workspaces, I imagine. I don't know. I've always been kind of... Uh, interested in big long stories and have loved big long in-depth stories and that was the kind of thing I I read as a kid and so Mm. that was I suppose the sort of thing I wanted to write and it always felt like knitting together a lot of individual stories was the natural way to to do a book. I think it's thrilling. I I just haven't done it yet. Mm. Yeah, (laughs) I just think wow. I wrote a book with one point of view that was one story Mm. and it became you know an 80,000 word book quite a short book by my standards but in a way it was one thread pulled out from many so I think it's the same task, but you just weave together a lot of different stories, you yeah. know, if you like. Yeah. It's not necessarily a longer story, but it's it's broader, perhaps. And with a with a, a series like you write and a world in which you write, do you find that you remember everything from early on? Or do you have to sort of sometimes refer to readers who go, by the way, Joe, you know, you remember in book one, actually, page 300 and... Yeah. You know, and smart like, oh, asses. Yeah, smart, mean, smart asses, as we also well, know them as. You obviously will encounter such people, <laughs> and, you know, people who know better, and obviously you forget things. Yeah. And, you know, I have some kind of timelines and spreadsheets and things that can help me kind of keep details correct, but really you've just got to keep it in your mind, because... A lot of it's very hard to kind of note down the nature of relationships between characters. These people met each other 30 years ago and they had this little exchange. The only way I've found to really manage it is to write what you want to write and then go back and read everything else and just see. Do you, if do you revisit, you read your, your previous books? Well, I kind of have to. I mean, yeah. obviously, they're wonderful books. <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> so of it's, it's always a thrill, an absolute joy. <laughs> to go, a joy. Yeah. Um, but, but it's a terrifying thing to read something you wrote. Five years ago, isn't it? I mean, you're yeah. Although I find <laughs> not always for the reasons that you might expect. Certainly, you see things and think, "Oh God, I would do that differently now," because okay. that sucks. Mm. It's horrible writing. You see those things, but also 
I think when you're working on a new book, you see a finished book and think, wow, this feels polished and I used to be able to do this properly. <laughs> and now I'm finding it quite challenging, you know? So it's, it's bad for that reason as well to feel that you're not quite, you've not quite got it anymore, which is sort of what I always feel when I start a new I book. Think, I think we all know different things at different times in our lives, don't we? So you can mm. revisit a thing from five years ago and think, I'm not that person and that's so strange. And that and that mm. can mean I could no longer achieve that or that can mean I don't long, I don't long agree with that or any, yeah. anything, but it is, it's like meeting an alien, really. It is. And it's, every book is a snapshot of where you were yes. as a writer and a person at that time. And occasionally I've felt like, ah, oh, I'd love to go back to my first book and maybe just just tidy a few things but up. Then it like wouldn't Taylor be the first Swift. book, would it? It wouldn't. And then wouldn't maybe the first in, in ten years, I'd look at it again and go, I, I liked it better the first <laughs> time. Or you know, it's got to be left as it is because it's kind of a yeah. testament of that moment, I suppose. I, I take it you you haven't uh, sort of gone back and read your first two novels. I I read from them mm. at gigs, um, which I really like doing because again, they are rhythmically not quite what I'm doing now and so you come across these people like my first book has a really sweary woman in it and I've got such a telling off from my uncle <laughs> who wouldn't read it anymore because she was uncouth and and so I haven't gone there since I haven't written that like sweary woman and uh, I really enjoy reading her out she's fun <laughs> audience pleaser yes, we call that exactly yeah. it's great but I think I think it it does immerse you in really different um preoccupations and interests and obsessions that belong to previous selves mm. and actually that can knock you off kilter for days <laughs> you go back to or or vice versa i mean in the last three months um i read a book that i hadn't read for a decade and i feel like i've rediscovered stuff i was interested in that i had stopped writing about for a long time that's amazing as well when you when you dive back into pieces of your head that you had previously lost access to for a while, it's yeah. a you know it's a really strange. But I've never sat down and reread. Um, I went to a reading of a play that was revived um, right. that I hadn't seen for one of yours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it was I, it had been on in two thousand and fourteen, and then I hadn't seen it for five years. <laughs> and I went and watched the read through at the first at the start of rehearsals, and that it was it was a weird because it's by someone else. It's not because I get it's the royalty, still you. but it's my. But that else. must be very strange. It must be very strange to sort of be looking back on on another you, yeah, you know, in that regard. Well, and I think you know, being a playwright is obviously adds a whole extra dimension mm. because you're kind of providing the framework and the and the sort of the the ingredients, if you like. But then you've got the cook coming in, the director, the yeah. actors who are giving a totally new interpretation to the whole business. I mean, in the same way as a. I suppose a TV or a film adaptation, you know, you're seeing something that is yours, but it's also through this filter of other people's contributions, yes. which I can imagine is both wonderful to see this skill and, and kind of expertise applied and to see a new interpretation, but also kind of deeply scary and weird, <laughs> I would imagine. When there are people who've gone quite public about um, hating it, about hating seeing their work happen on screens, aren't sure. they? I mean, like, mm. in the last few years, there have been novelists who've come out and said, I just don't really recognise this, I don't. And I think that's a strange relationship um, that you probably just have to come to terms with. It won't be by you, it'll be a story you once told, getting told by some other fella, but nonetheless, it's... Uh... 
But D- David Nichols, the author who I um, spoke to quite recently. Oh, uh, oh, get you clank. Yeah, um, clank. In a, yeah, yeah just right. whatever you know. Yeah. Yeah. What are we shoplifting? Just then? hanging out. Well, you were available, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> he said uh, about that relationship between writer and production company slash producers and director, and he finds it quite hard and in the end he's he's just sort of had to just go with it that's what that was his advice you just got to go with it because it is a different thing it's a different thing and it will never be it will never be that book it will never be the novel that you that you wrote it just isn't going to be um and he and does I, that to other he does that to other people's work it sounds a bit violent <laughs> but like he does that with other people's work as well so he he's does yes. on both sides so he's seen it from both yeah have you had any uh, any dealings with the television people joe i have yeah i have how did you find dealings. the process I've got to be careful what I say yeah. because it's, it's a safe space. Do. It's a safe space here. Is it though? No, I'm not. Uh, I don't <laughs> feel very much totally a... comfortable. No, that, um, it's not. Yeah, I mean, it, it's been um, a veil of sorrows in some ways, <laughs> and an exciting and fascinating experience in others. I kind of have been quite drawn in myself into some adaptational stuff, both of my own work and some other people's work. Nothing, none of which has actually made it to the screen, I hasten to add, <laughs> as, of course, 95% of such work fails to make it. Mm. Um, and it's been fascinating and great to work with some really clever and, and kind of exciting people. And as a writer who spends an awful lot of time sitting in a room on his own doing novels, it's actually really exciting to be part of a team and to sit in a room with other people discussing the stuff. That aspect of it, I think, is... Is great actually, mm. um, but it is obviously very different to you know having the total responsibility and the total power to kind of do more or less whatever you what, like. Whatever you want, yeah, yeah. And you you adapted a, a Shigeru novel recently into for the, for the play, stage. Yeah, stage. How did play. how was that? It was um, an amazing experience. Was it remains of the day? Yeah, remains of the day. Mm. Yeah, um, and that was uh, relatively. Um, that was still like playwriting. I was still left alone to do it. Do you know what okay, I mean? You know, it yeah, wasn't. It yeah. wasn't that. Um, sometimes in a in a TV development experience, the the idea is just in the air, and it's not. <laughs> you're not right. You're not writing it at all. It's an idea that everyone is feeding into, and that, this still felt like me and a pen and some paper. <laughs> but I did get to have the conversation, and I I think what was liberating was being given permission by him, but then also feeling like actually this is what every adapter has permission to do, this is the game, was to decide what the remains of the day meant to me yeah. and mm-hmm. to do that. I mean, um, Ishiguro talked about jazz, he talked about um, the way that no one feels possessive over My Funny Valentine and you can bring any any reading to My Funny Valentine, as long as you have something to say about it, then people are going to be happy to hear your cover of that song. Mm. I thought this was very good and put it in my latest novel. Um, <laughs> uh, but it's it's a really beautiful idea of what an adaptation is. It's, it's jazz, it's a cover, and yeah. you're just bringing a take to this story that someone else told 30 years ago, um, you know, and is there something that you could say with it now that is interesting to people now? discuss you know and that i think that's quite exciting and once you get into that then you understand what adaptation can be yeah which is a, in itself a very different and specific skill beyond just you know writing for yourself yeah it's it's, it's a very different thing isn't it to be mm. able to adapt 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Um well, I want to get into the book off then. Let's get into the meat of it. Because I know uh, we, we've done the niceties and we're all friends now, but the competition is about to begin. Um, oh, yeah. This is very, and I should say, it's very friendly. I mean, it's it's just a device to hear you talk about other books, really. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, there will be a winner. So uh, <laughs> you have only a few more minutes to uh, charm me enough. I'm going to put three minutes on the clock here. And uh, before we find out who goes first and who's going to get honked and who's going to get wrong, uh, I just want to know which books you're bringing to the table. So, Joe, what have you decided to put in the book off? Well, there are very few things that I can talk about with any authority for as long as three minutes, I think. And so I'm keeping it within my area of supposed expertise yes. of fantasy fiction. And I'm going for the little-known A Game of Thrones by George R. R. Martin. Yeah, I heard of that. Heard yeah. of that? Oh, yes. Nice. Uh, Barney, what are you bringing to the table for the book off? I have gone similarly mainstream. <laughs> uh, I have brought uh, my translation... Not my... Tra- I can't translate. Um, uh, a translation of Georges Perec's masterpiece, Life, A User's Manual, La Vie Mode d'Empois. As life, well a use, I'm going to use the English that life, I've a got user's the David manual. Bellos translation, who is the Don. So, yeah. Okay. We've both gone for a George. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Something it's, it's a the, George The off. battle of the two Georges. <laughs> um, it's, love this copy. Love that you brought that in there. Well, it's I, a very yeah. loved copy, isn't it? I, I do love it very much. It's, it's nice to carry it around and imagine you wrote it. I'm just, <laughs> just um, putting the stopwatch on there. I've noticed I set my alarm this morning for seven oh seven. Seven oh seven. I saw that. I thought that's not three, three minutes, Joe. You've got seven and seven. Very strange. Uh, anyway, so uh, Barney, would you like to go first or second? I'd like to go second. He's going second. Which Jesus, means, Joe? Would you would you like a honk at your three minutes? Or would you like the bell? I think the bell has a, a more relaxing, pleasant. It's also sort a bit of more a... fantasy, isn't it? Yeah, the bell. yeah. And you the know, tolling of. Also, you know. Game of Thrones, the bells, uh, important uh, episode of the TV version, so highly appropriate. I was very say. appropriate. Perhaps it'll all be swept by Dragonfire when it goes off. <laughs> Whereas I, I once played the cat in the musical Honk. So. <laughs> 
<laughs> this is perfect. That works for it's me just, too. It's, it's, it's as if we Thank knew. Thank you, Stars and Drew. Yeah. It's all coming together. <laughs> uh, right then, three minutes is on, Joe Abercrombie, and over to you to tell us about and why you love uh, Game of Thrones by George R. R. Martin. Well, where to begin? Um, I think when I was a kid back in the 80s, uh, I read an awful lot of fantasy. And at that time, I think fantasy fiction was very much, you know, in the shadow of Lord of the Rings. There'd been a lot of darkness there and thereabouts. But uh, the heroes, the shiny heroes, I think, had won that battle for the commercial heart of the genre by the mid-80s. And authors were really striving to kind of out-Tolkien, Tolkien in the, the grandeur of the setting and uh, the simplicity of the morality, if you like. You could say, I think, perhaps that the genre had become just a tad predictable. I think what's brilliant about A Game of Thrones is that uh, it's not too original. You know, originality is a little bit like salt. Too much will ruin your meal. <laughs> but none at all is a little bit dull. And Game of Thrones feels familiar enough to make you feel comfortable, you know? Like many of its characters, it comes with a smile and then it sticks the knife in. And uh, I think it was the, the combination of elements and the way they're delivered that made it exciting for me. It had a style I'd never really seen applied to fantasy. I was used to narration by dignified wizard, you might say, floating above the action, not all that closely involved, just describing. Whereas Martin really gets right down into the heads of the characters Every chapter is written from the tight point of view of one person and is kind of suffused by their voice and their needs and their wants so that, you know, every character, however unpleasant, kind of becomes the hero of their, their own part of the story. In Lord of the Rings, you have a kind of objectively good and a bad side, I suppose. You know, no one ever supposes that Gandalf might be in the wrong. He's good and you know he's good. But in Game of Thrones, there's a very grey world, you know, that's full of doubts, full of unknowns and moral ambiguity and necessary evils and mixed motives and heroic qualities of characters can become fatal flaws and even the most unpleasant people have their kind of explanations and their reasons. So it's a kind of world beset by supernatural perils, if you like, but the real evils are man-made always. And there's chivalry and glamour, but beneath the surface there's a lot of filth moral and uh, physical and there's a lot of sex and violence delivered in a very adult way and for me reading it um, you know in the 90s when I was when I was well into my 20s I found you know there was a kind of honesty about it that I hadn't really seen that much in fantasy fiction till that time and uh, you know he pays off he's willing to kill off characters without wanting to give any spoilers and uh, I found after reading Game of Thrones that fantasy had had actually become dangerous again Oh, that's it, look, with five seconds to go. Bingo. Oh. I, actually, I actually had some fantastic material that I had to cut out. I saw, <laughs> I saw the clock was running down. The best, <laughs> the best stuff was just, just coming there. Oh, it's a, it's a real it's a shame. shame. Shame we missed that. Well, but, George um, himself is going to be gutted when he hears this. I, I didn't really, you know. <laughs> but, you know, the, um, the early bits were really good. Oh, thanks. Really, really good. Thanks. Uh, we shall return to talk about that uh, in a bit, but over to you now. Barney, for uh, your three minutes, which is on the clock, to tell us about life, a user's manual. So, um, in the 20th century, particularly in France, there were a lot of um, groups, there were a lot of gangs, there were a lot of organisations that set out to 
do outrageous and pretentious things like revolutionise literature and uh, reinvent the wheel and uh, shatter the mirror and so on. And Georges Perec uh, belongs to a tradition of French writing that was centred around a group which looked to make rules-based literature. This is the the world of Raymond Queneau, Alain Rogrier, um and Perec himself. Perec is most famous probably for writing a book called Avoid, which is a novel without the letter E in it. Um, but he also wrote uh, a huge raft of other experimental rules-based um, work. There's one that works a lot like Computer Code called The Art and Craft of Approaching Your Boss to Ask for a Raise, um, which actually is a bit programmatic and repetitive. It's a bit like the Raymond Queneau exercises in style. It's like after 45, you get the joke. You know, there are loads of different ways of saying the same sentence. Cool. Life User's Manual is the book which, for me, rises above... Wow, that's unfair. There are so many Perec masterpieces. Double Veil, The Memory of Childhood, is really amazing. It intersperses his own childhood with um, reflections on the Holocaust. Um, Things, A Story of the 60s, is a really good book about chairs. Yes. And Life User's Manual is an extraordinary jigsaw book, collage book, the most amazing piece of uh, game based fiction that I've encountered. And it's a map of a block of flats in Paris. Uh, We drop into each apartment within that block over the course of the novel, time and again through different moments in the lives of the people living in there. And the people who live in there are from wildly different backgrounds. It's got ninjas, which is always good. Um, And the novel lasts for as long as it takes for the bloke we meet first to put the last piece into a jigsaw that he is completing, Um, except he doesn't quite get to do it. And by the end of the story, we understand why he was making the jigsaw, how he was making the jigsaw, who has challenged him in trying to create the jigsaw. And out of these apparently hugely, wildly diverse stories that intersperse and create the novel... Um, a single theme emerges, which is an idea of life as a game that we play um, for its own sake and a game whose end is for it to end and to become nothing again. It's about creating something beautiful and then letting it be lost back into the ocean at the end. And uh, he's really great. (laughs) You tailed off because... You saw me grab my horn, didn't you? I saw the timer. Oh, seconds. Wow. I mean, well done, gents, because you may think, oh, I didn't quite get all I needed to in three minutes, but that was a lot lot on both counts. Um, Flew by. Flew by. It really did. Yeah, it It really did. I've noticed on uh, on Unlike for the listeners. Podcast. Yeah, unlike for the (laughs) listeners who are are just, you can wake up now. Yeah, Um, it's over. No, many authors say, oh, I just don't know if I've got three minutes. You know, I don't know if I can. And every time they think, God, that flew by. And uh, you guys are no uh, exception. Uh, Back to you, Joe, and Game of Thrones, if I may, because I was taken with. Everyone knows Game of Thrones. They might have read it, but they they must know about it, or they certainly heard about it. Mm. It is colossal. It's huge. Um, And so it's really interesting to hear you talk about it and and tell us something a bit new or just a bit from from a fancy writer's perspective on it. Um, And one of the things that I wrote down here was, it's not too original. And I just Mm. think that's brilliant because you're so right. And this is partly probably why it's so massively successful is that... We, we sort of felt like we already knew it from book one. Yeah. Would you say? Well, absolutely. And I think the the kind of the joy, I mean, 
of both reading and and writing in a in a genre often is that it does have these patterns and these expectations and these motifs and these things that people love and work for very good reasons mm. but they also encourage people to expect a story to go a certain way and therein is the opportunity to give them something they're not expecting and i think that's what i really enjoy as a reader is is to read something that shocks me out of my stupor mm. you know and and really takes things in a very different direction and at the time game of thrones just completely blew my doors off because the genre was so kind of stayed at that time, I think, yeah. or the commercial heart of it anyway. You know, you really did feel like you knew exactly where things were going from the first page. Yeah, yeah, I know so what you mean. When A Game of Thrones kind of killed major characters off with very little <laughs> warning, it was it was shocking and quite kind of impressive, I think. And impressive, exactly. And brave. And brave in many, many respects. I think. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think very brave because people often don't like, not everyone likes to be shocked, you know. Mm. A lot of people like to pick up a can of Coke and get Coke, not piss. <laughs> which I think you know is the way people have sometimes talked about the experience of reading my work um, they, like, they feel they've had the, the rug pulled out from under them yeah, you know right. that, that someone's playing a trick on them okay. is that the spectator because the spectator are always rude to me <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I've reached the point of being okay. reviewed by the spectator <laughs> they say very similar things they don't do a lot of magic sword books I don't think <laughs> oh, that's yeah. a shame. maybe maybe they'll do a Christmas special maybe one day yeah. a fantasy edition of the spectator um, uh, one quick thing I also wanted to say there you, you mentioned that you know when George R. R. Martin came on the scene and sort of smacked you around the head with these books which mm. he did a lot of people for me the only other person that's done it other than Joe Abercrombie oh, probably he, I love, his uh, in, love it in the more recent recent times of the last 20 years or is, uh -huh. is Robin Hobb I think who right. for me yeah. was just uh, I love Robin Hobb you know she's just yeah. a master of that and did something a again not too original but but enough that was like okay this is I'm reading something a bit different now yeah and and you know I think each each writer has their own special slightly different ingredient each mm. one that's kind of noticeable and notable and uh, that that as I say is the great thing about genre is the the opportunity to just tweak one element of the yeah. recipe and therefore create something new and in a way create something more interesting than something that's completely new because you have all that kind of wealth of expectation and old material it's to like using a good on. stock isn't it you know you've already got it's a really been good reduced stock down you know a bit of, just what you're cooking a bit of Tolkien nice. in there a bit of yeah. Donaldson yeah, a bit, right, bit, yeah. bit of Robert E. Howard yeah <laughs> lovely and you like Robin Hobb mm. as well do you? yeah I do yeah, she's fantastic I was interested in where where you stand on her work as sort of someone who must have been writing about the same time but obviously is doing a really different thing to George George R.R. R. Martin um do you hate her work? Are we I, about to drop you in it? You're only in the sense that I haven't actually read. Oh, you should. Oh, Robin Hobb, which is horrible because yeah. I know her quite well. Oh, you really? She's should. lovely. <laughs> she's she's really great, personally speaking, and she's been lovely about my book. She's here with us now, so, so now <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so now I I feel terrible. But then the the weird thing for me is I don't read a lot of fantasy and haven't right. read much for some time because mm. it feels always too much. Busman's you know, holiday. Exactly, exactly. Oh, is that, that right? Is that is that a thing? Yeah, and I think, because I'm so used to reading my own stuff and kind of with a very critical eye and going mm. over and over, I find it very hard to turn off that kind of analytic yeah, part yeah, of the yeah. brain. You just see just the choices that the writer's made all the time. I find it with contemporary fiction, you just sit going like, oh, no, 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 that, or, oh, that's really mm. clever. You know, yeah, I you can't actually enjoy the book for the book. Poetry is about the only place where I read without my... My analytical head. You just, well, no, I mean, poetry is analysis, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm not 
I, I'm not in competition. <laughs> yeah. 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 Non fiction for me is, you know, mostly what I yes, read for, right, okay. for fun. Oh, well, as and when the moment takes you, I feel like a Robin Hobb would be a, a, a I, good, you know. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And then many you can people, say nice things about her books. I can as well as in just return. her personally. <laughs> yeah. uh, Barney, if I could turn to you and um, your choice because. Life for Users Manual. Uh, Life for Users Manual. Um, I loved this pitch and I don't know the book and I feel a little bit like maybe I should. I don't know, should I? I, I'm very woefully sort of underread, really, in the grand scheme of things. He's one of these people who I think people are very passionate about if they know Mm. him, but that in no way translates into a kind of cultural ubiquity. Do you know what I mean? I think think people like... uh, you know his group. He was part of the Ulipo, the sort of which was this um, experimental group creating mathematical formulae as ways of structuring stories, mm. and that is never going to be everyone's bag. And I think uh, there were innovations in that, and there were interesting things that came of that. But really, for me, he's the writer who transcends that background and is actually really good at writing stories, <laughs> and and could have lived up a hill and never met anyone and been clever, and yeah. would still have written really beautiful stories. I think that's the um, the thing that comes for me. I loved that this book is about a block of flats, and we meet all the characters. That as a as yeah. a device, as a plot, is, is just, mm. it sounds brilliant. I want to read it because of this pitch. The Jigsaw novel, mm. you know, that idea that not only is it about a jigsaw at the beginning and end, but that we actually are piecing this whole thing together. Brilliant. And I just wrote down here in big writers, Ninjas. Ninjas. Um, which could sell any book to me as well. So yeah. I, it could be the magic ingredient that tips it, the it could be, yeah. sex and violence. I thought I have to get in something. I know, yeah. Bill, sex, sex and violence over here. And the, uh, the one thing I'd say about Georges Perec is that he has no middle initials there. You know, <laughs> That's very If true. it was Georges R-R or R-R, I feel there'd be more of a sense of gravitas there, to be honest. There's no hinge to that door. Exactly, yeah. That's the problem. I just thought both of those pictures are great and I loved hearing about a book that I've read or books that I've read in a, in a slightly different way, you know, just made me think about, um, I nearly said Lord of the Rings there. Well, I suppose it made me think about Lord of the Rings as <laughs> well enough, in a different way. But yeah, it made me think about Game, Game of Thrones slightly differently. Um, and about hearing about a book I just don't know and thinking, God, that's, you know, I'm almost tempted to steal this copy of the table that, because I just thought, wow, that is, I think I'm going to love that book. Uh, so I have to choose one. That's the game. And I think I'm going to take home with me the ninjas. Hey, hey. I think I'm going to cha- take home George Perec. And that's partly because... Um, like the other ones. <laughs> well, also, I just think, and I think Joe will agree with me here, maybe not, maybe he's seething, but um, Game of Thrones doesn't need me. Yeah, that, so I think, and a lot of people will have read it. <laughs> Frankly, it doesn't need me. Whereas, I'm not, not, I, don't think, I don't think George Perec would care either way, but I feel like a lot of a lot more people wouldn't know this book, and perhaps that's a reason that we should be reading it. Maybe fair, fair. fair. I think fair. Good. But both great pitches, and uh, I loved loved hearing about those books. Um, so uh, that is that is it. You're you're sort of free to go out of this room now. Um, it leaves me to say, a little hatred by Joe Abercrombie is out now, and it's published by Galantz. It is indeed. Yes. I said with an inflection at the end, you a did questioning it very, look very nicely. Yeah, uh, that was from memory, so I'm pretty pleased with that. Uh, and the Vanishing Hours by Barney Norris is published by Doubleday and available now as well. Gents, absolute pleasure having you both here, and uh, they're both wonderful books. Uh, you should be very pleased. 
thank you very much. Thanks for joining yep. me. Thanks for having Cheers. me. Cheers. flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.